All right, uh, welcome to the conversation. We had an interesting guest for you guys. He's uh, participated in a couple of movements you might rec recognize Occupy Wall Street, Standing Rock, hashtag Bank Exit, 2017 California Poor People's Campaign. Uh, but uh, you, you might have seen him on the program before as organizer and founder of, of Bank Exit, and we talked about uh, how we can uh, do public banks, etc. Jay Ponte. Jay, uh, welcome back, brother. Brother Jenk, great to see you. No problem. Uh, so, hey, uh, Jay, first question for you is, uh, common misconception, and understandably so, is that Occupy didn't work, right? So, what's your take on that? How, how do you see it differently? Well, as uh, with all things, we know that corporate media framed it that way specifically, and that we know how they drive specific narratives. Um, but Occupy was a resounding success. It's important to also separate Occupy the movement from Occupy the tactic, which is to occupy a physical space. But uh, the, the amount of movements and energy that came out of the Occupy movement fundamentally transformed the American landscape. We would not have the consciousness around the 99% versus the 1% movements like the fight for 15 uh, for a living wage for $15 an hour minimum wage. Strike debt came out of that. Uh, the divestment and public banking movements were really energized by that. And moreover, it fundamentally changed Americans context around resistance, made it okay to go and protest without a permit. So I'd say, and I would say ultimately, Probably the biggest impact was Bernie Sanders. The Bernie Sanders campaign was a direct result of Occupy Wall Street, not just obliquely, but a direct result of Occupy Wall Street activists who pushed Bernie to run. So I know you write in a book and you connect those two things in the book. So help me understand that or help the audience understand that. Why are those two things connected? Well. I think the common mythos is that Bernie came out of the free market and he just went viral and his message just resonated. All of those things are true, but the extent to which Bernie caught fire was a direct result of specific tactical organizing efforts of a group of Occupy Wall Street activists. Uh, was known as the people for Bernie Sanders. And they actually messaged the entire Occupy mailing list. They had a bunch of you know, Occupy organizers on board with that mobilization. And essentially they had a, uh, before Bernie even announced, they held events uh, called uh, the 99 events for the 99%. It was a big call to action. And some of those initial calls, uh, house parties and calls became uh, you know, black men for Bernie, you know, different cities or, or regions for Bernie. A lot of those different groups, um, those affinity groups came out directly out of that organizing effort. Simultaneously, um, you had uh, another group called Progressive Democrats of America, who was also bird dogging Bernie and tra basically traveling around the country, following him and saying, Bernie, we need you to run. And uh, so it was a specific, Bernie would not have run without seeing that the grassroots movement to forward his agenda, especially to take on the Clinton machine, just would not have happened without that energy being there. So he was directly pushed by Occupy Wall Street activists who saw a Clinton administration as potentially what it was. What it was was a, a really a, a furthering of 
militarism, imperialism, you know, Wall Street hegemony, and all of the other right. things that this country what it is. So I remember when I interviewed Bernie in 2016, I asked him, what was the moment that you knew you had a shot at actually winning? And he said that it was he'd gone to a rally, I think it was Minnesota, but I'm not sure. And he said, there's this line around the corner, giant, giant crowd. And he turned to his advisor and said, who's got a concert after me? Who are they here for? And they're like, no, Bernie, they're here for you. And he was like, what in the world, (laughs) right? Now, but Jay, I'm curious about the chicken and egg, right? To what degree is it the activist? And to what degree is it the zeitgeist? So, you know, because like, I was, I remember being amazed that Occupy was put together and and succeeded in, in getting all those people there and getting the press attention because, you know, the progressives are notoriously hard to organize. And, and whenever I asked anybody, they'd always say like, it was the moment, it was the moment. Like everybody showed up because they were, you know, Proverbial sick and tired, right, of the situation. So, what's your take on that? Yeah. Well, it's a combination of both. And a lot of, I think, progressives would really, it would really benefit everyone if we learned our movement history. There's a terrific book called This Is an Uprising, written by Mark and Paul Engler. I should probably see it over my shoulder, where they talk a lot about the whirlwind. And yes, it is a zeitgeist moment. Um, there are moments where you know it's a little more geared towards the status quo. Then there are moments where it's like a powder keg. Now, for organizers, it behooves us to know when to capitalize on those movements and when to mobilize our networks and to engage the proper tactics to really take advantage of those, um, really take advantage of those moments, those trigger events. Okay, um, so. Yeah, I noticed the books behind you, including Capital, huh? Um, looks like Karl Marx wrote a book. Um, anyways, <laughs> so I not picking it. Yet. <laughs> Basically, proves that that uh, you know trickle down economics is is a canard, basically. Yeah, of course. So. In your book, Be the Revolution, How Occupy Wall Street and the Bernie Sanders Movement Reshaped American Politics, it's you talk about a bunch of things and I there's a couple more things I wanted to ask you about because I found it so interesting. You talked about these secret Bernie Avengers. What, who are they? They sound super fun. Yeah, it was a, it was a group that we put together of activists, organizers, um, Hollywood professionals to essentially recruit a surrogate team for Bernie. And then we organized that team to do actions around the country. Like we created the Bernie's Diner in uh, in Los Angeles. We did the Clooney counterparty where we, when we threw the money at Hillary Clinton's motorcade outside of the George Clooney, $33,000 a plate fundraiser, which by the way, you were one of the only outlets that actually defended us when we were smeared by the corporate news. It was an absolute hatchet job. And you know, we organized at the convention, we organized the platform committee. And it was a lot of the, we both recruited and organized a lot of the surrogates that you saw stump for Bernie or bands that opened for Bernie. So we, it was to help the campaign in that way. So we covered both of those, the diner and the campaign event. And 
it's always the same old tricks, right? So you guys went to draw attention to Hillary Clinton's donors and hence you threw the money. Um, and then they said, oh, sexist. What, right? And then Janet Yellen got $7 million from uh, speaking fees to banks and other corporations. And then when we pointed out, they're like, sexist. But that doesn't make any sense at all. Men do corruption, women do corruption. It has nothing to do with their gender. It has everything to do with the corruption. And so, and I want people to understand that when you see Bernie's Diner, as almost everybody in LA did, that doesn't come out of nowhere. It, it comes from somebody organizing it. And like, there's like this sense of like community organizer has almost like a, a mystical feel to it. It just means you organize things, right? You put things together and you bring people together. So, which then, of course, leads to the next question, which is, but Jay, we've done this organizing for a while, and we have seen the results in that, hey, Bernie almost won twice, right? And yeah, he didn't pull it off, but like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that would have been unthinkable, unthinkable, no chance at all, right? And so you see the momentum, I see the momentum, and we chronicle it all the time. But that leads to the question of, but people say, how long is it gonna take? Especially when we have like losses like Nina Turner's. And it's like gut wrenching and people keep wondering, when do we win? Yeah, it's a, there's a great Simon Sinek video when he talks about the difference between finite games and infinite games. And he looks, you know, you look at finite games have a winner and a loser, like a campaign is a finite game, infinite games. Um, it really, you go until one falls out. Uh, you know, the Cold War was an example of that. and. He cites that one of the reasons that the United States has continually failed with military exploits like Afghanistan and Vietnam is because we're trying to win that war, which can't be won. And it's, I think it's helpful if progressives take the infinite game approach. We looked at it, we're constantly working to transform these paradigms of consumerism, Corporatism, militarism, patriarchy, colonialism, racism, systemic racism. These are all systemic racial. These are all systemic issues, and so it is advantageous to take a mindset. Like it's like a marathon mindset, or you know, you got to keep pulling weeds out of the garden. But for me, you know, I look at the progress that we've made just since Occupy alone, and it's astonishing. I think a lot of people were activated by the Bernie 2016 campaign or the Bernie 2020 campaign. And it's it makes sense to me why people would feel demoralized. But going back to 2004, there wasn't even anything called a progressive movement until a number of activists out of the Dennis Kucinich campaign started. Um, groups like Progressive Democrats of America and others. Being progressive wasn't even a thing you would think of. You would think of you know, Teddy Roosevelt and the progressive Republicans. Um, being a progressive wasn't even a thing. So I think it's important to take the long view and to look at we gain as much ground as humanly possible. We build big coalitions, we shift the Overton window on the issues. Medicare for all, complete utter fringe issue in 2016. Even the climate crisis, they laughed Bernie off the stage when he said it was the greatest national security threat. Of course, the military knows it is the greatest national security threat, especially given the latest IPCC report. But for me, I think this represents a, a, 
we're at an absolute critical moment where our leftist movements and our organizers and our and those who would consider themselves progressives or leftists, we get to take a good hard look at each ourselves and stop the infighting and see where we can come together to build coalitions to fight for policy and to keep winning, especially in a you call it a post Bernie world. Yeah. We have eight years to go carbon negative right now, according to the IPCC report, there just is no more time and we need to get better at our taxes. So the point of the book is to prove that a small handful of people with no resources can absolutely fundamentally change the world, which is what we saw with the LA and Seattle divestments, You know, $8 billion divested from Wells Fargo. That's Straight right. up organizing against one of the biggest banks, corporations in the world. No, that's right, and that's real, and that happened. And another thing that happened was we started Just Democrats, and it's real, and there's 10 of them in Congress. So um, don't let people take hope away from you, because it's a trick. Uh, and if you fall into that trick, then we'll never win. Uh, but you can see the progress, yes, it's slow, uh, but it's real, and we have to keep going. And Jay's absolutely right. The main thing is we gotta stick together and keep, if they split us apart, then we become weaker and it's it's harder to execute things. All right, Jay Ponte, organizing behind the scenes, making some of the things that you see visibly happen, along with so many other wonderful organizers. Thank you for joining us, Jay, we appreciate it. Yeah, oh, and I just wanna mention that the 10th anniversary of Occupy Wall Street is coming up on September 17th and 18th. There's a link tree that we have set up for Occupy 2.0. You can follow the Occupy Wall Street main Facebook pages and Twitter to find out more. We have an event in LA at 6 p.m. on Friday. Come down for a general assembly to have your voice heard. On Saturday, there'll be a march and rally. And it's a beautiful coalition event. We're gonna take every COVID precaution, but we invite everybody to come out, tune into the live stream. And you know, we hope to, to see everybody out for the 10th anniversary of Occupy Wall Street. Absolutely, it's also the 10th anniversary of Wolfpack. So lots to celebrate there, because we started Wolfpack And you were Occupy out there, I heard, I heard you were out at Occupy Wall Street, I heard you were out there. Oh, Absolutely, that's where we started the Wolfpack to get money out of politics. Um, so, um, all right, Jay Ponte, thank you, brother. And thank you, Cenk, for uplifting those events. These platforms are important. All of our progressive platforms are important because I don't know if you noticed, but corporate news doesn't exactly cover our direct actions and cover a lot of our campaigns. So, you know, the the piece you did on public banking was an important moment. I think to get that into the the popular consciousness. So, oh, and also thank you for your organizing work on Justice Democrats, and also, you know, it you know it's nice when you get attacked by corporate news to have someone tell the truth. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You guys remember Morgan Harper? She ran as a Just Democrat in Ohio for the House. She worked the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. She had a bit of an education, Tufts, Princeton, Stanford, not a big deal. As she organized and founded Columbus Stand Up, that's a grassroots community organization that mobilizes volunteers. She does good work. She's a wonderful person. You know what she decided to do? She's running for Senate. Okay. So, you know what else she's doing? Joining us, Morgan Harper, everybody. How you doing, Morgan? Hey. 
Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, our, Craig, our stage manager here remembered you because uh, as we're about to do the interview, he said, is it time to organize? <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely time to organize, so yes. Right, <laughs> we need you. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Morgan, um, lots of questions here. I'm in a uh, weird mood here, so I'm going to start with a, a fun question. Uh, so, uh, you're running for the Ohio Senate seat. We're going to get the Democratic primary, but first, in the Republican mm -hmm. primary, uh, since Rob Portman is retiring, uh, we have two, in my opinion, not jobs: uh, J.D. Vance and uh, Josh Mandel. So, who is crazier, Vance or Mandel? That's that's a tough question to answer, and you know you have touched on the main point of why I'm running though, because the threat on the right is pretty extreme at this point, and we as Democrats haven't been doing a great job of winning in the state of Ohio, and we need to do that because both of them represent, I would say, existential threats to our democracy, and they are nothing to advance our government closer to delivering real change for our communities. Now, Morgan, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that they're going to win, and we're going to have like a full-blown lunatic in the Senate. I mean, we already have a bunch, mm -hmm. but but Vance or Mandel would not help the cause. And they're both, of course, have a competition to who could lick Trump's boots better and more effectively and efficiently. Mm -hmm. So, to help me understand what's happening in Ohio, so Ohio used to be a swing state, but in the last couple of elections, it's pretty much stopped swinging. And, and it's gone more significantly in the Republican dis, uh, column. So why, why did it do that? Well, you know, I would say that it is still a swing state, but we need to be taking the data and the results that we're seeing and applying it to develop our strategies to move forward to win. And one of the things that we're seeing is that the career politician types in the state of Ohio, especially for these federal seats as Democrats are not winning. And if you can't mobilize a lot of key constituencies across the state, black voters, other communities of color, working class voters, you are not going to have the numbers to pull off a victory here. And like we were just talking about, the stakes are very high. We need to flip this seat and protect the Democratic majority in the US Senate. And you know, and that's what we're we're also saying through our campaign and a message we're gonna be mobilizing throughout the state is we're not gonna be able to turn out these people who are inconsistent voters, who have floated away from the party entirely by presenting someone who is in bed with corporate interests, who's taking corporate money. The Republicans actually in this race are saying no corporate PAC money. They're gonna stand up to big tech. They're gonna take on big corporations, fight for the little guy. It's nonsense and we need to have a, an alternative that actually, I was talking about myself here, that has a track record of doing that, having worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, actually trying to take on big tech to have government implement legislation and do something. The only way we have a chance to counter this message and the threat on the right in the state of Ohio and win is by having a true progressive and a mobilization strategy grassroots across the state to turn out the people that we need to vote. Okay, so let's keep it real. Uh, Tim Ryan is in the primary with you, uh, and he was in the race <laughs> earlier, and um, and so he's more of a established and establishment Democrat. And so his argument is going to be, well, okay, yeah, I took corporate money, but I raised a lot of money. I raised two million dollars, and that money is going to help me win. And then I'm going to go and say he his main thing is Ohio workers and etc. Um, so why is that not a winning strategy? 
We win by getting people to vote for us. That's a pretty key point, right? We don't win by raising a lot of money. I think if last cycle showed us anything, especially in a lot of these Senate races, is that raising a ton of money is not guaranteeing success in order for Democrats to win statewide in some of the states. And also, you know, what we saw here in Ohio, President Biden, though he won overall, did worse than Hillary Clinton in the state of Ohio. And so we need to be real and again, look at the facts. The facts are that running the same playbook in the state of Ohio, moderate politicians, centrist politicians that are taking corporate money are not winning. And the and who has been able to win in this state over the past 15 years? It's people like Sherrod Brown. This is not someone who is trying to hide the fact that he's progressive or gonna stand up to corporate interests, right? And so that is our that is our playbook for winning, in addition to mobilizing the people we need to turn out across the state. And that's not something that can be done in a shortcut sort of way. It's door by door, it's block by block, it's building the infrastructure, it's building the authentic relationships that will inspire people to, to turn out and win. Make young people wanna care about this race. We have a lot of colleges and universities here, that's a big part. And then also black voters, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really, really hit that over the head because we need to recognize that our community is the core of our base. And if we're not paying attention and if we're not voting, we will not win. That should not be an afterthought. That has to be front and center in any democratic campaign in this state that is trying to win. And so that's something that we're gonna be very focused on in addition to a lot of other constituencies that will be mobilizing to turn out. And and we have to do it. <laughs> and there's no other there's no other option at this point. We need to recognize that being progressive, being bold, sticking to our values, having someone who's willing to stand up to powerful interests is the way that we're gonna get a message that will turn people out in November. So that the point about Sherrod Brown is excellent. Um, it's almost like you went to Stanford Law School. Um, so <laughs> because um, Ohio's continue to lean red in national elections, as you pointed out, Biden did even worse than Hillary Clinton. But yet you have one of the most progressive senators in the country. And I would argue maybe the most pro-union, pro-labor senators. So there's a dichotomy there. It's almost as if it's not about Democrats or Republicans, it's populist versus establishment candidates. So mm-hmm. now, Tim Ryan, I've known for a long time, and he's got his ups, he's got his downs, but but clearly he's not a populist. Uh, he's you know against Medicare for all. He made that clear in the campaign trail. He, in fact, in an interview with me, uh, and 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 against Green New Deal, etc. So, how would you run a populist campaign, Morgan? Well, it's it's the same issues that I've been talking about since I ran in the congressional race too. In many ways, things have only gotten more precarious for a lot of people. So I'm sticking to what I've always stood for, that we need to have universal access to healthcare. This is a must, that we need to be addressing the climate crisis. We're seeing here, even in the Midwest, where I think folks like to believe that somehow we were gonna be immune from the effects of climate change, increasing flooding housing costs related to these weather changes and extreme weather events. And so we we need to just be real with people about what's going on and the policies that will actually solve the problems. And that is what we are gonna to communicate to voters across the state, workers, small business owners, people who understand the economic system has been rigged against us, us being those who have to continue to work, to live, and that we need real change for our communities and it needs to happen now. 
Yeah, I see in your platform, and you have one, most establishment candidates don't have one, most progressives do, because you care about policy. And so you have one, of course, and you mentioned universal health care, universal child care, and universal education. But Morgan, if we do all that, how are we gonna pay for all the wars? <laughs> well, you know, this has been a very heavy week in, in many ways, um, or you know, really a last couple of weeks. And I think we're seeing, we're seeing that the foreign policy establishment has led us into a path over the last 20 years, my entire adult lifetime of wasted money, resources, lives built on strategy that did not make any sense from the beginning. And so, you know, that's one important thing that we need to move away from and start to prioritize really focusing on our communities and supporting each other and getting the resources that people are going to need to lead stable lives. That's a big part of what, you know, the platform that we're talking about. I think that's what people across the state want to hear that we're going to be focused on policies that are about serving our communities and delivering change that is long overdue. And so I saw on your website, oh, speaking of which, what is your website? MorganHarper.org. Okay, MorganHarper.org. Remember, folks who are not running with corporate PAC money need real people to help both donating and organizing. And that's what the volunteers are for. That's so catchy. I love it so much. <laughs> okay, but I saw on your website that in Ohio, you had more high paying jobs per capita than any other state. And that's clearly not the case anymore. And that I think is the heart of the discontent. So what mm -hmm. happened there and how can you fix it? I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is the the end, end result of a generation of policy, economic policy at the federal level that has benefited large corporations and allowed a select few to really get ahead and to the detriment of workers, small business owners. I mean, even at this point, medium sized business owners are probably finding it very difficult to compete. And I've heard this through some of the antitrust work that I've done. And so we need to be real about what got us here. It again is a is a failed philosophy, a philosophy that's rooted on this idea that, you know, if we're just if prices are low and people are getting credit, everything's fine. And really get back to what has made our economy work for most people historically. And that is a strong understanding of the need for workers and small business to be front and center, right? Not just allowing corporation, large corporations to pretty much do what they want. And that's what we've, that's the era that we've been living in. But there's momentum now, which is a good sign to change that. Again, that's some of the work that I've been focused on over the last year and a half through you know, some of the anti-monopoly policy and, and competition policy. And there are good signs coming out of the Biden administration on that front. But that's the beginning of what's necessary to really make it so that we are not always you know, it's kind of scraping by economically, scared about the ability to pay for prescription drug costs. We need to be tackling this corporate power issue head on so that we are able to all lead more safe and less vulnerable lives. And everybody remember, Morgan didn't talk to talk, she walked to walk. She actually fought corporate rule. And so no, nobody else in the race has done that. All right, MorganHarper.org, everybody go check it out. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us again, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Cenk.